Howdy, church. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Dr. Paul is going to read for us. Proverbs 5, verses 1 through 7. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you might keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. May God add blessing to the reading and the hearing of God's word. Can we give it up for Dr. Paul? Thanks. You may be seated. If you got your Bible, that's where we're going to be in Proverbs. Uh, this is your final PG-13 warning. I know the campus pastors just warned you, but I, I'm also warning you because uh, some people listen online or listen in your car two weeks from now. So if you got little ears, you want to uh, turn this down. If you got kids in here, like elementary age, go ahead and take them now to our kids' ministry at all of our campuses. You can go to the lobby, and we'll help you get checked in. Or if you want to keep your kids in here, good luck on the conversation for lunch and following, okay? Hey, but before we get there, I need you to grab this. This is our 1010 Life catalog. I was told by my team that I called it a catalog last week, and we're not supposed to call it a catalog. So now I'm only going to call it a catalog. <laughs> and here's why. When they first handed it to me, I was like, this is legit, and it's heavy. It feels like a Sears catalog. And I used to love when the Sears catalog would show up in the mail. The Sears catalog meant Christmas is coming, Amen. The Sears catalog's full of hopes and dreams and wants and desires. That's what it's full of. And every year, my daddy would give me a magic marker, and I would go into Sears catalog, and I'd circle all the things that I wanted because I thought those things were going to bring me ultimate joy and happiness, right? Well, this is better than the Sears catalog. Do you know why? Because this thing is not full of just some temporary stuff that you want. This thing is full of what God wants for you. And I hope when you see it, you're filled with the same kind of excitement that I was as a kid for Christmas. Because what God wants for you is an abundant life. Amen? Amen. And so what this thing has in it, it's got four things, okay, you need to know. I hope you'll bring it each and every week. I hope you'll keep it close to you during, that, during this whole series. First of all, it's got a, an update on what God has been doing in us and through us and to us in this 1010 Life journey. As has already been mentioned, we are on this journey, rooted in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have, made, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And there's all kind of things that we're doing here at the church, and God is just flexing for his glory, and you need to know some of those things. So that's there. If you want to hear all about it, you can go to our website, coe22.com. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, there's a, a sermon that I did at a vision night a couple of weeks ago, and it's everything that I know about what God is doing in our church and like where all the next campuses are going and all the things like that, so I'd encourage you to do that. Secondly, if you go to page 80, there's a place there for you to take notes. There's the Bible verses that I'll be teaching from, and you definitely want to turn there today because you're going to want to see that I'm not making this stuff up, that... God says these things. And then there's also a place for you to take notes. I'd highly encourage you to take notes. And then if you keep going, there's a whole section uh, that you can use in your disciple group. So for some of you, if you've ever wanted to look smart in your disciple group and haven't been able to pull that off yet, then you, there's the preloaded questions there that you can go ahead and look up the answers and feel good about it when you go. So I'd encourage you to do that. Take this to disciple group with you. And then if you turn to the very end, there's a commitment card. Would you pull this out, hold it, touch it, smell it, get into it, okay? Because this is going to be a tangible expression of our faithfulness to God three weeks from now on November 2nd and 5th at our, all of our services, all of our locations, we are going to make a financial commitment. And here's the heartbeat of the 1010 life. He's a good shepherd. He speaks to his sheep. And all I need for all of us to do is hear the voice of the good shepherd and just do what he says. And so bring this back with you in a few weeks. And so that's everything about this catalog, and hopefully that gave you enough time to get your kids out of here. All right, now we're ready. <clears throat> so what we're going to talk about is we're in this series called Live Abundantly, and we've been talking about wisdom. That's what we talked about last week, wisdom. And wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. And so for the first four chapters of the book of Proverbs, there's this older guy talking to his son. It's more like a spiritual son. <clears throat> and for four chapters, 
all the first four chapters of Proverbs, it's about the fear of the Lord and wisdom. Wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And then when you get to chapter five, the first significant thing that this older guy is going to talk about, he's gonna talk about sex and sexuality and sexual immorality. And you think, well, what does that have to do with the abundant life? I'll tell you what it has to do with the abundant life. We have an enemy who's a thief, and the thief wants to steal from you. He wants to take something that's not his. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the primary ways he has been doing this, regardless of how much you love Jesus in your heart, is through sex and sexual immorality. Now, let me just give you a warning, okay? Um, I, am, I didn't write this. I'm like the mailman. We've talked about this before. I'm like the mailman. I don't write it. I just deliver it. And there are going to be some things in here that are probably offensive to you. Okay, me too. But when we come to the scripture here at 1122, there are some people that come and they like have authority, they think they have authority over the scripture and be like, what is God talking about? He doesn't know about tender. He has no idea what I'm doing, okay? But the way we come to the scripture is we put ourselves under the authority of the word of God. He is the author of life and he knows how best to use it. And wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. And any time we get out from under the authority of God's word, I'm telling you, we can make a train wreck of our life. And if you look at me and be like, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm a nobody, okay? I'm a nobody. And so all I'm going to do is try to teach you what God says from God's word. And I do wanna remind you, you did show up to hear me preach. It's not like I busted up in your house and be like, hey, get your hands off her. That's not what happened, okay? So. This is what we're doing. We're talking about sex, sexual immorality, all the things. Because I can't tell you the number of people that go to church and sing the songs and know Bible verses. And when it comes to sex and sexual immorality, say, forget you, God, I got this. And they ain't got this. And they have a train wreck of a life, relationships, family to show for it. So a couple of ground rules that we got to cover before we get into it. Because we got to kind of define some terms here, okay? In the beginning... God, out of God love, God's love for God's self, he decided to create humankind to bear his image. And in God's infinite wisdom, he decided that the best way that humanity would image God best is, through, is by, he made us male and female. That's it, there's just two, just male and female. God has created us male or female. Regardless of how you feel, and you don't get to like, you know, switch teams halfway through the third inning, that's not how it works, okay? that God decided there's male and female. Now, you see, because we don't get to declare who we are, we receive our identity from our creator. And if you're confused about that, that's exactly what it is, it's confusion. And we have a, we have a world of confusion right now. And God is not the author of confusion. The enemy wants you to be confused. So if you are confused about that or love and know somebody that's confused about that, we love you and we are for you and we want you to just see yourself the way God sees you so that that confusion will be cleared up so that you can see him for who he really is, amen? God made us male and female. Secondly, sex is God's idea. Did you ever think about that? If you're still on the fence as to whether God's a good God or not, <laughs> let me say it again. Sex was God's idea. God came up with the idea of sex. I don't know how it happens, I don't know, I wasn't there. But somewhere in eternity past, there was no such thing as sex, and then God's like, hey, you know what? I've got an idea of what I'm gonna do. And the angels are like, what? He's like, it's gonna be awesome. Another rainbow is better than a rainbow, okay? And he comes up with the idea of sex. For procreation, did you ever think about that? Of all the ways that he could have propagated the species, could have been anything. Your wife could just like lay eggs in the garage and you walk by and put some hair on it. Like, hey, we're gonna have babies. It's kind of random, is it not? And yet, to image God, think about this. When you got married, the Bible says the two become one. So one man and one woman become one in marriage. It's a reflection of the triune nature of God, one God in three persons. And out of an overflow of your love for one another, you literally create image bearers that look like you and act like you. That's why they drive you crazy. It's true, sex is God's idea. Not only for procreation, but also for recreation. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen. really loud, amen, all right. Some of y'all are like, baby, this is the best church I've ever been to in my whole life. <laughs> yeah, man. Like he designed your body, I'm gonna quit doing hand motions. He designed your body <laughs> in such a way that some things are just for pure pleasure with no, no uh, creative elements at all. They don't make any more people. 
that God gave us this for procreation and recreation, that God created as male and female, sex is God's idea, and sex is for married people. Not gonna be married, not used to be married, not married in my heart. There's no such thing, you can't get married in your heart. You get married at church, you get married in the courthouse. That's where you get married, it's a legal transaction too. And marriage, according to the Bible, not according to current culture or the Supreme Court, they do not have the final say because it wasn't their idea. Marriage is one man and one woman in the covenant with God for one lifetime. That's just what it is. Now, from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end, there's going to be a consistent biblical ethic when it comes to sex. And Jesus is gonna say this, Paul is gonna say this. They're going to say, flee sexual immorality. The Greek word that's translated into sexual immorality is the word porneo. Sound familiar? It's a junk drawer for not any specific kind of sexual act or who you're with or what you're doing. And I think part of the reason the Bible doesn't just make the list is because some of you perverts will be like, hey, my thing's not on the list. Okay, neat. Anything outside of married people having sex, and it's not just intercourse, falls into the category of sexual immorality. And we live in a world that spends billions of dollars a day and an enemy, a thief, is trying to bait you down the road saying, forget you, God, I know better than you. And if you do that, it, it leads somewhere and where it leads is death and destruction. And so if you wanna live abundantly, then you live the way God says to live. And in regards to sex and sexuality, there are three chapters back to back to back in the book of Proverbs dedicated to this. Normally, I only teach like a few verses at a time. Today, we're gonna do three chapters. I'll, we'll have you out of here by halftime. I can almost promise you that. Chapter five, verse one of Proverbs. Open up to page 80 in your journals or open, a, open your Bible up. I need you to see this. He says this, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. So here's like a dad helping his kid. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drink honey, drip honey. Okay, a couple things here. First and foremost, this is written for a man's pers- from a man's perspective and it's written to another man. Ladies, look at me. For every forbidden woman, you know there's a forbidden man. I think a part of the reason that it's written this way is because you, ladies, are smart enough to make the transferable principles in your mind. The men are not, so we gotta put it right there on the bottom shelf for the boys, okay? So, it's, so know this. For you, all the same things hold true. It's not like all the men are doing fine if the women would just quit tempting us. That's not how it goes, okay? This is true for both men and women. But he says this, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. The forbidden woman is the woman that is not your wife. That's it, that's who the forbidden woman is. She's not your wife. But look, her lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. You see, this is the girl and everything starts out sweet, doesn't it? Like this is the girl that you work with her and she laughs at all your jokes. And your wife don't laugh at all your jokes, but she does. You know why your wife doesn't laugh at your jokes? Because your jokes are dumb. (laughs) Do you know why you're enamored with the fact that she laughs at your jokes at work? Because you're dumb. (laughs) It's going somewhere. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but she is bitter as wormwood. It might start out sweet, but it's gonna be nasty. Sharp as a two-edged sword. This is important. Her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for hell. See, you think this thing is fun, but it puts you on a, puts you on a path and every path has a destination. And the destination of your life ends up as a series of decisions, a series of steps, either towards the abundant life that Christ has for you or towards hell. And I'm not even talking about like eternal salvation kind of hell. Every single one of us are a decision away from a horizontal hell that we would do anything to get out of. You see, it's a pathway. And the whole root of this 1010 life is this, man. Is your life on a path listening to the good shepherd that's heading in the direction of abundant life or is, is it heading to a hell? Married folks, the way that you're treating your husband or wife is it leading to a deep abiding marriage? You ask any, anybody, single or married, that wants to be married, if you ask anybody, so, so what's the goal? What do you wanna be like when you get old? 
Everybody's, they want to be that couple. Don't you want to be that old couple sharing rocking chairs at Cracker Barrel, sharing dentures, just still holding hands, loving each other? How do you think it gets there? You think it just accidentally works its way there? No, 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 no. That's decades of little decisions and little decisions that hear the voice of the good shepherd and go in obedience in his direction. Hey, if you're not yet married, where do you want to end up one day? If, if you want to be married and you're single right now, then what kind of decisions are you making? And how do you think that's gonna impact your future? I can't tell you the number of single people that I talk to. They would never answer it this way. But in a different set of words, it's a lot about self-justification. You'll say something like, well, here's what I'm doing in regards to dating and preparing to be married. I meet a girl and I hook up, shack up, break up, repeat. Hook up, shack up, break up, repeat. And I have been training my whole life to treat a girl like a commodity. And when I'm done with her, I'm done with her. But one day, I'm going to meet the one, one, one. <laughs> and I'm going to show up on a Saturday at church. And I'm going to put a tux on and I'm going to say, I do. And then from then on, I'm going to know how to love her like Christ loved the church. Scooter, you're too dumb to talk to, okay? <laughs> if, if all you've ever done in your entire practice life is fumble, you think you could be trusted in the championship game with the ball? I don't think so. And so ask yourself, what path are you on? This whole, all three chapters are gonna be talking about a pathway. It says she does not ponder the path of life. See, she's not thinking about a path. She's thinking about Instagram. Look at this, YOLO, you only live once. No, dummy, you live forever. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 is going to say flee sexual immorality. Every single time we have sinned sexually, it's because we did not flee, we flirted. And you may look through and be like, well, what's wrong with going near the door? There's no sin going near the door. I've read the whole Bible and nowhere in the Bible does it says, thou shalt not touch it to the door. That's right, it's not a sin to go near the door. It's just stupid, because it leads somewhere. And wisdom isn't necessarily about what's sin and what's not sin. Wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. You see, the moment you begin to ask the question, how far is too far? Whether that's in communication or a physical relationship, the moment you begin to ask that question, it's the wrong question. Because your momentum taking you to, to, towards too far will always lead you further than you ever intended on going. It'll always cost you more than you ever thought it would cost. And it'll always hurt you way more than you ever dreamed or imagined. So he says, don't go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Listen up, fellas, you know what this means? You could build your whole life, your name, your reputation, your house, your home, and just a series of stupid decisions, you could throw it all away. Some other guy that you don't even know right now could be tucking your kids into bed one day if you don't pay attention to God's wisdom. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. You begin to ask the question, what have I done? What have I done? You know, every single time a famous pastor fails and falls morally, our staff, especially our younger staff, they come to me. I know a bunch of these guys. And they go, Pastor, what was he thinking? And I go, he wasn't thinking. Here's what happened. He began to go down a path. And the Spirit of God tapped him on the shoulder and said, whoa, 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 whoa. And at some point, he said, get off me. I got this. He ain't got this. He ain't got this. You ain't got this. You can lose your integrity, your witness, money, your family, your reputation, all for what? Verse 13, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin. My hope and prayer is that for some of you, this message comes at just the right time and it keeps you from utter ruin. If you're in utter ruin, at the end of the service, we're gonna talk about it. Now, I know it's gonna feel like a beatdown for about another 30 minutes, but hang in here to the end. It gets better at the end, okay? But listen, I, I can't tell you the amount of people 
who get to a place and their life feels like utter ruin and not one human being has ever woken up and been like, you know what I'm gonna do today? I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive my life into utter ruin. Nobody, nobody wakes up one day and be like, you know what, I hope, this, I hope my marriage ends in a custody battle for my kids. No, 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 that's not what you think. You see, it happens way back up here and it's one just, it's just one little, it's just lunch. It's just lunch. I know she's not my wife, but it's just lunch. And she gets me, she gets me. He, know, he, listen, he values me. My husband ignores me, but he values, it's just lunch. People have to eat. There's not one verse in the Bible about thou shalt not eat lunch. I'm telling you. And you're like, you're right, you're right. And then before you know it, man, you have gone places you never dreamed you would go. And it, it ends in utter ruin. You see, this is why the problem, if, if you try to define how far is too far, that's the problem. Because the moment you define like where's the line, then human nature is how, how close to sin can I get without it being sin? And the moment you get there, every single one of us, we know this, you, you then begin to ask, well, how far over the line can I go and still manage the consequences? And when you do that, you're gonna eventually say, how did I get here? Because you didn't intend to. Last time you got a speeding ticket, that's what happened. That's it. Nobody gets up and be like, you know what I want to do today? Get a speeding ticket. No. But what do you do? You pull out on the highway. People are like, where's the line? 70. It says 70. Okay. Well, for the safety of me and everybody else, I'll just try 65. Does anybody do that? Only the person in front of me in the left lane when I'm in a hurry. But everybody else, <laughs> you go as fast as you can, don't you? You try to say, okay, I know it says 70, but it don't mean 70. If I could just get one policeman to give me the number, what is it actually? 81, 82, 79, just give me the number. But they won't ever do that. Because <clears throat> then what you do is you go, I'm gonna try to go as fast as I can and still manage the consequences. And then when they light you up, blue, you think, ah, I went too far. This is our nature. So he says, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Now he's gonna give advice to married people. Here's his advice. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? And you're like, what does that mean, pastor? That's why I have a job. Let me explain. <clears throat> All throughout the Old Testament, the woman anatomically is called a well. Just think about that for a minute, okay? For obvious anatomical reasons. The man is called a spring for obvious anatomical reasons. Think Old Faithful, got it? Song of Solomon will say things like, rejoice in the wife of your youth and God blesses a spring-fed well. It's so hard for me to not move my hands right now. <laughs> Got it? Okay. So here's what he's saying. Husbands, there's only one source of clean drinking water in your life, and that is your wife. That your wife is the only legitimate source of romance or sexual intimacy, period. Ladies, your husband is the only legitimate source of romance or sexual intimacy, period. Not some dumb romance novel, not some goofy movie. If you're married Ted, to Ted, you got 50 shades of Ted. That's what you got, that's all you got. <laughs> Fellas, not pictures, not movies, not any other human being. She is the only legitimate, clean source of water in your life and anything else is contaminated and will kill you. And so, with that in mind, one of the best ways that you can flee sexual immorality if you're married is you can flirt with your spouse. Don't stop at flirting, go all the way. This is what he's saying. Let me just say it this way. Ladies, you're the only clean drinking water in town. And your husband gets thirsty sometimes, okay? Now listen, if he ever goes outside of your, you, I'm not saying it's your fault whatsoever. It's his responsibility, it's his, his sin for sure. But again, the brother gets thirsty. And so if every time he comes up and he's like, you know, baby, I'm getting out thirsty, and you're like, well, you know what? I've been saving that for your birthday or anniversary. <laughs> it ain't good, man, it ain't good. You ever go to the grocery store hungry? Make some awful decisions, don't you? You come walking in there, you're like, I'm gonna get some chicken and broccoli. That's what I'm getting. And you're hungry, you're like, ooh, Captain Crunch, sounds delicious. <laughs> Next thing you know, your mouth's bleeding at your kitchen table because you're being run by your stomach. Yeah. Again, man, one of the best ways a husband and wife can serve each other is this, is drink from your own will. Drink from your own sister. Keep it at home. And if you're not married, 
You don't have a well to drink from, period. And again, you'd be like, well, we're married in our heart. No, you're not. That's not a thing, man. That's some sort of self-justification to do what you want. And again, <clears throat> to be a husband, you know what it's required of you to be a husband? Is to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her because of his love for us. And the Bible defines love. The first thing it says is love is patient. That means you cannot simultaneously, impatiently be taking something that does not belong to you and yet claim that you love somebody. That's not how it works, man. You see, love sacrifices, love serves. Love does nothing in its own interest. And so, I'll tell you, you know who loves this sermon? Faithful married couples are like, oh, this is great, love it. Go home, drink some water, it's great, okay? <laughs> you know who else loves this service? Dads of teenage daughters. Get them, pastor, right? You know who hates the service right now? You guys that are sleeping with your girlfriend and you hadn't married her. Stop it, dude, stop it. Ladies, do you know how valuable you are? See, you are valuable and you should be treated as valuable. And every single time you give yourself away to somebody who hasn't given themselves to you, you are devaluing yourself and you're too valuable for that. You know what it should, I mean, you're a daughter of the king. You know what it should require for somebody to touch you that way? They have to commit and covenant before God, friends and family, their entire life in order to get you. It says, let them be for yourself alone. You know where intimacy comes from? Intimacy comes from exclusivity and vulnerability. Let them be for yourselves alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Husbands, are you rejoicing in the wife of your youth? Do you rejoice in her or do you complain about her? And I think the reason he says rejoice in the wife of your youth because remember, remember all the things you used to do when you were dating her to try to get her to marry you? You had game, bro. I see, I get a unique seat every week. I get to stand up here and see you people. And I see who you married to. I mean, how in the heck did you get her to say yes? Because <laughs> you had game. You pursued her. And she was young and it's a covenant and you can't get out. So praise God for that. <clears throat> and you would do whatever it takes, right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, man. You study her, you learn her, you chase after her, you do dumb stuff like eat frozen yogurt and go to stupid movies. You do whatever it takes to pursue and value her. So husbands, one of the greatest ways you can flee sexual immorality is continue to pursue your wife. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm obsessed with my wife. I love G more than all of y'all put together. I just like hanging out with her better than you, but I am obsessed with her. Continue to date your wife. One of the greatest things you got going for you at 1122 is on Wednesday nights, we have youth group. If you're not making your kids go to youth group, you're too dumb to talk to. We drive Reagan up and we go, hey, go to youth, go, go. You got a couple of hours, just you and mama. That's what we got. Even if she didn't want to go, we would drive by and throw her out the window and we would go on dates together. <laughs> you, do, you do, <clears throat> do you do vacations with just you and your wife? I've told you in my house, there's two different kinds of travel, right? There's, there's trips and there's vacations. If the kids come, it's a trip. Ain't no vacation. <laughs> and then... Several times a year, one of the best things you can do for your children, married folks, is look at them and say, hey, me and your mama are leaving. Where are you going? One of the greatest places on the planet. Can we come? No. <laughs> and just pursue your wife. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Then this next part, man, it's one of my favorite verses. So many things I love in this verse. Ready? A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight, being intoxicated always in her love. Praise God for that verse. <laughs> Wives, this will be a good one for you to memorize. Let's say it again, ready? A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you when? At all times. Daytime, yep. Nighttime, yep. All the time. Now if you quote this verse, you're done, you lost it already. But see, God never designed it to be like offense and defense. You realize this? That a good, godly married couple is enjoying one another and serving one another and loving one another. Verse 20, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman 
and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. You'll never fool God. And then check this out. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. Listen, bro, that girl that's flirting with you, she don't get you. I mean, she's gonna get you, but that ain't what it means. Did you realize she's a tool in the hand of the enemy trying to kill you? Ladies, that dude that's not your husband that's paying a little extra attention to you at work, he's not for you. He's willing to sacrifice your family and his family and his reputation and your reputation. He is a tool in the hand of Satan himself trying to kill, steal, and destroy. It's a trap. That's what it means by ensnare. The the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly he is led astray. Chapter six for 19 verses. I think that this dad is like, okay, I think we've covered it. Now let's move on to the next category. 19 verses in, he's like, never mind. Let's talk about sex some more. He goes back to, goes back to it in verse 20. Three times in Proverbs and three chapters back to back to back, this is what he's gonna say. He says, my son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Honestly, if we listened to our mom and dads in this area, we'd probably do a lot better. Bind them on your hearts always. Tie them around your neck when you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and teaching is a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. This is the essence of the 1010 life. When, in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, the next thing he says is, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for you. Right before he says this, he says, my sheep recognize my voice, and when they hear me, they follow me. See, we're not talking about right and wrong. We're talking about life and death. That's different. Right and wrong, morality will never sustain you. But when you begin to understand that Jesus is a good shepherd, and every single time, regardless of what this world says, we take steps of obedience in the direction of the good shepherd, it always leads to life and life abundantly. You want an abundant marriage? Do it the way Jesus says do it. And every single time we reject him and say, forget you, I got this. It always leads to death. Consider this, regardless of what you believe about all this stuff. Imagine if our country, since the inception of our country, decided we were going to obey the seventh commandment. Don't commit adultery. If every single person, even if if you're lying and stealing and killing, all the things, whatever, but the seventh one, can you imagine how things would be different? The whole world would be different. Abortion wouldn't be a thing. Divorce, gone. Did you know Americans spend $10.2 billion a year paying for divorces? Do you know we could leverage that money and feed every starving human being on the planet if we just took divorce money? Do you know domestic violence wouldn't be a thing, man? There'd be an outlier here or there every once in a while. Fatherlessness, gone. And I think the root of the problem in our country is fatherlessness. I mean, you think about it. Every nonprofit started in America was to solve a problem because men didn't stand up and act like men and do what they were supposed to do. You see, God is for you, man. He's not trying to like keep you from anything. He's offering you life and life abundantly and his ways are better than our ways. It's a way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. There's gonna be times in our lives where your faith and your hormones don't line up. And in that moment, what are you gonna do? What you're gonna do is you're gonna make a decision who your Lord is. And if you say, forget you, Jesus, I do what I want, then by definition, he's not your Lord. You are your own Lord. That we all have to submit and surrender our hormones to him. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. I had to look this up in the Hebrew because I ain't never meant to do. Just like, man, you see them eyelashes? Whoa, it's huge. Boy, you think they're real or press on? I can't tell. Nope. Here's what it means, man. She's flirting. She's winking with her eyes. He's like, pay attention to this. Do not be captivated with her flirtatiousness. For the price of a prostitute's only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. You see, anytime we try to make sex just transactional, we'll say, look, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't even cost that much. And little do you know, it could cost you everything. It also means your wife will kill you. That's what it means. And then 
the fundamental question, these next two verses, that men, when you're in this mess, don't know how to answer it. He says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not get burned? Well, obviously the answer is no. But you ask a man that is walking down this pathway towards infidelity, and here's fundamentally what he says, uh-huh, I can. I can be the first human in the history of humanity to carry fire to my chest, but I got this. And Solomon is saying, bro, you ain't got this. Nobody's ever had this. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not get burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not get scorched? No. And again, man, you think, I'm not gonna get burned, bro. You're gonna get burned, your future's gonna get burned, your family's gonna get burned, your kids are gonna get burned. That girl's gonna get burned, her future's gonna get burned, her kids are gonna get burned. And many of you, many of you, I'm hoping, I'm praying that you're just kind of seeing the coals, maybe you've kind of reached out to them and today, by the, as a gift from the Spirit of God, he's gonna give you some conviction and you're gonna say, uh-oh, I need to get off of this path. Verse 29, so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. This isn't even talking about God's judgment on you, which one day we will all stand and give an account for our lives. Romans chapter one says that the greatest wrath God could ever put on you is just to turn you over to yourself. That it's the kindness of God that leads to conviction. And if there's some conviction going on right now, it's the warm invitation of the spirit of God to turn away from death and turn to life. Verse 30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. Verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Again, when you hear about somebody that's train wrecked their life and you go, what were they thinking? They weren't thinking. Verse 33, he will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. You see, you can't buy your way out of this. You can't talk your way out of this. Again, every single one of us are a few decisions away from living in a horizontal hell that we would do anything to get out of. And the Bible is a gift to us that God would love us enough that he would prescribe a path that would keep us out of that. Chapter seven, the third time he's gonna go through it. Verse one, my son, keep my words and my treasure and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart and say to wisdom, you are my sister. You see, you can either learn from your own experience or you can learn from somebody else's experience. Wisdom is when we learn from somebody else's experience. There's an old guy talking to a young guy saying, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice. Here's what he's saying. It's like an old guy sitting on his front porch. Imagine Dr. Paul sitting on his front porch. And he's seen hundreds of young men start down this path. And regardless of their intention, that path has a destination, and they always end up in the same place. That's what he's saying. And he says, I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. If you're 25 years or younger, if you're a young man, 25 years or younger, would you raise your hand as high as you can? 25 and younger, raise it really high, really high, higher than that, come on. All right, look, you lack sense. <laughs> you lack sense, it's not your fault. You got more sense than everybody else, because you're here, good job, all right? It's a good step in the right direction. This is part of the reason we do intergenerational disciple groups around here. Even in our 1825 groups, we always plant some old people to lead it, why? Because I don't want a bunch of 20 year olds sitting around talking about how to live life. The concentration of that much ignorance in one living room is terrifying. Everybody thinks they know what they're doing when they're young. And, and you got an old guy here going, hey bro, the path that you're on leads somewhere and it doesn't lead where you think it leads, and you can either trust me or you can learn it yourself. But if you learn it yourself, you're gonna burn down some things in your life you'll never, ever, ever get back. Verse eight, passing along the street near her corner, underline that, taking the road to her house. 
This is the key to understanding this whole text. The young guy's walking down the road, he gets to a corner. This is a pivotal decision in his life. He could keep going on the path that he was on, but when he gets to the corner, he doesn't keep going in the path that he was on. He looks down that road, he sees her house, and he makes a decision to turn and go in a different direction. This is a pivotal decision. And if I were to run up to him in that moment and be like, whoa, 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 bro, whoa, 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 hey, listen, 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 this ain't good, man, this ain't good. I'm sure he would fight back. He was like, you know, I got this, man. I'm just gonna go down the road a little bit. Like, I know you think you are. That's not, that's not what's gonna happen. And he would be like, well, pastor, listen, is it a sin to turn the corner? I'd be like, no, it's not a sin to turn the corner. It's just stupid. It's really, really dumb. It lacks discipline because it leads somewhere. You see, every single time that we have failed sexually, it's because instead of fleeing, we flirted. And so, here's the reason I bring it up. It's not yet sin, it's just dumb. And I could line up so many men and women that attend our church that love Jesus and all the things. And they went down a road and it ended in destruction. And they would give anything to get in the DeLorean and fix the flux capacitor and go all the way back to that one corner, that pivotal decision, that lunch, that text, that DM, that one little friendship in the gym, whatever it is, man. Pay, pay close attention to that. Let me tell you what some corners are. That guy at the gym that's not your husband, but he's real complimentary. And then the moment you pull up in the parking lot, kind of looking for his truck, that's a corner. Instagram, but she ain't naked, pretty close. It's a corner. That guy's trip, that business trip, and you haven't done anything wrong yet, but it's, it's heading in that direction. Or that... That guy that you went to high school with, you hadn't talked in a long time, and you're just catching up because you're old high school buddies. That girl at work, listen, pay close attention, man. I'm not saying it's sin, I'm just saying it's stupid that you have an enemy that's trying to take you out. Verse nine, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. See, wrong place, wrong time. This is not an accident. I remember when I was in high school, my daddy would always make me home, be home by midnight. He'd say, nothing good happens after midnight. Only people up after midnight are uh, vampires and pimps. That's what he said. You don't want to be one of them. That was one of his proverbs. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Here's the thing, man. She's not a prostitute. But at some place in her life, she had a corner. Something happened in her life. And now she thinks the best decision is to try to be valued by somebody that's not her husband. Something profoundly wrong has gone, down, gone on at the heart level. Verse 11, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. With a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I have paid my vows. This is some kind of religious self-justification. If you think I can do whatever I want because I found this verse in 1 John 1, 9, I don't know if you know this, but I found a, verse, I found a loophole. That if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and all unrighteousness, then you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That he died on a cross in place for our sin so that we could be free from sin, not so that we could be free to sin. And so she goes through this like religious justification to say, hey, it's gonna be fine, we'll offer sacrifices for this. So now I come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. And this dummy thinks it's all about me. Well, verse 16, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh. Apparently she's got Rick James as her interior designer. Got aloes and cinnamon. She's got a Barry White song going on in the background. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. This is not love. This is lust. See, love is about serving. Lust is about taking. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not something you fall into. Love is something that you express at great expense to yourself because Christ first loved us. These are very different things. Verse 19, check this out. For my husband is not at home. Which if you're the dude, you'd be like, wait, I thought you were looking for me. There's a bunch of me's, huh? Yeah. And again, man, I would, I would speculate that if her husband was at home loving her, she wouldn't be dressing like a prostitute trying to get this young man into her house. For my husband is not at home. 
he has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. <clears throat> At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And check this out. And all at once, he follows her. Here's the reality. It's not all at once. It seemed all at once. He's going to train, train wreck his life all at once. But if you back that thing all the way up here, there was that corner. And when he made that decision to turn the corner, there was a series of decisions that led to death and destruction. We don't notice until he goes off the cliff. It just seems like it's all at once. And I love these illustrations. <clears throat> As an ox goes to the slaughter. See, he's walking down this road, he's walking into this girl's heart, and he's like, I'm the man. And the old guy's like, bro, you're a dead man walking. You're like an ox going to the slaughter. You ever slaughter a cow? Palaka folks, will you please explain to the Pontevedra folks that steaks don't grow at Publix? Yeah, see, an ox on his way, he's got his chest puffed up. He's feeling like an ox. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm heading in here. Where am I going? What are these cattle guards for? And he's dead. He's lunch. That's what happens, man. He thinks he's going to be awesome. He's going to be dinner. Then this next one, I love it. Or as a stag, that's like, a, that's like an eastern deer. That's what that is, okay? We call it a buck. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. Listen, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna go get in the deer woods. I'll be hunting. I'll be writing the next sermon, okay? And I hope a big buck walks out. And I hunt with a bow and arrow because I'm a Christian, all right? And so, when that thing comes out, what I hope to do is draw back, place it right behind the shoulder in the heart or either double lung it. I'm gonna release that arrow. It's gonna make a swack noise. It's gonna go through the heart or lungs. It'll mule kick. Blood will squirt out of both sides. It'll run. And within 30 seconds, it'll topple over and go to heaven. They don't really go to heaven, but that's what it'll do, okay? And listen, if you're like, oh, I'm a vegan, Man, I love a vegan, okay? I think a deer's a vegan. They're delicious, all right? So that's how it happens. <laughs> I hope you know, like Mother Nature does not sing them to sleep and let them go to heaven, okay? It's brutal out there. So that's what I hope to do. Now, if you make a bad shot, a liver shot, it ain't good, but they're still gonna die. A few years ago in South Dakota, a big old buck comes out. I draw on him. I hit back. I didn't make a good shot. And so I didn't hit the ribs. And these broadheads are so sharp, and the arrows go so fast that it went through him and he didn't even know he was hit. He was standing there eating some corn that I put out there and it goes, shoo, and he heard the arrow stick in the ground. He's like, what's that? Huh, he's just looking at it. Then I could see it in his face. He was like, mm, mm my stomach hurts, man. Oh, I think I've had some bad corn. <laughs> and then you know what? He didn't run. He just started walking away slow like this. He didn't realize he's a dead deer walking. It's over. And he doesn't even know he's been hit. And he's walking over there and he's thinking, oh man, I think I, if I just lay down and take a nap, I'll feel better. And he went and he took a nap and he woke up in my office. He's like, what am I doing here? Can't feel my legs. Okay, that's what happened. So. <clears throat> Look, I know it's funny, but you have an enemy. And if you're buying into this world sexual ethic, man, you're liver shot. You're liver shot. He is, this world is only trying to kill, steal, and destroy you. And God is for you. And his ways may not be our ways, but they're better because he knows, he knows what abundant life is. And abundant life is obedience to him. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. You see, it's a trick and it's a trap. See, what starts is fun, ends in death. You think it's just a few pictures online. And who does it hurt? Well, it's killing the intimacy in your marriage and it's killing that girl you're looking at. And you think it's just a lunch. And it's gonna cost you your family. Here's one that's scary. You think, you know what, I'm just gonna, I normally wouldn't dress this way, but I'm gonna dress a little scandalous and me and the girls are just gonna go to the club. I mean, who will know? And then you show up to the club and you're like, oh cool, our whole church goes to the club, that's weird, sweet. <laughs> a few too many drinks, dancing a little bit, then you wake up and you have given yourself to a person you don't even know. Your liver shot. Or you're dating somebody and you're not married and you're making out too much, and you're either damaging a good relationship or you're prolonging a bad one. Or you send some messages to somebody that's not your spouse. And I've seen this a million times. This is what he's talking about. And then one step leads to another, and you begin to do things you never dreamed you would do. 
Because this is not just about your willpower, man. This is about, you have, a, you have an enemy that's been around forever and he's a liar and he lies to us. And every time we believe the lie, death is hanging on the other side of that. He says, and now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your hearts turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. You are not unique. And her house is the way to hell. Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So let me ask you this. If you were God, based on what's going on in our world and how precious the gift of marriage and sex and sexuality is, what would you say to this generation, to everybody alive right now? Be careful. Good luck. We're just mammals. Be safe. You would scream, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. Do whatever it takes. In fact, Jesus, specifically when talking about sexual immorality, says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge that thing out. You're like, what? If your hand causes you to sin, cut that thing off. Jesus, that's kind of extreme. He's like, this is extremely important. Like, if the girl at work is causing you to sin, get you a new work. There's plenty of jobs. You have made a commitment to one woman. You only got one wife. Keep it that way. If this thing right here, if this smartphone, I don't know why we call it a smartphone. If this thing is a stumbling block for you, then when we get out of this service in a few minutes, you drive as fast as you can to the Atlantic Ocean and throw it as far as you can. And then go get you one of them flippy ones. Beep, 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 no pictures. You understand? We made it for several thousand years without these things. You do whatever it takes to take steps of obedience in the direction of your good shepherd because your abundant life hangs in the balance. So listen, when it comes to sex and sexuality, I am an absolute Pharisee. I have rules, I have guardrails, I have laws about the laws about the laws because I ain't trying to figure out where's the line and how close can I get. I'm trying to get as far away from that as I absolutely can. People call me crazy. Crazy because of the rules I have. No private meetings with females. And if somebody says, well, that ain't fair. I don't care. You can have fair. I'm going to stay married, okay? I don't do lunches with girls. I, don't, I never travel alone. I got all the filters and all the things. And again, somebody's like, well, isn't that a little ridiculous? Let me tell you what's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that I can outthink the enemy. It's ridiculous to think that I can trust my flesh. Because every single one of us are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, Right? And some people have told me, well, that's not normal. Bro, you can have normal. You know what normal in our world is? Normal is broke, medicated, and divorced. You keep normal. Call me crazy. I ain't normal. You know what I am? Happily married. That's what I am. <clears throat> and listen, man, over 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. The majority of those are over moral failure. Pastors. 50% of pastors' marriages will end in divorce. 25 to 40% of pastors have had an extramarital affair since the beginning of their ministry. Let me tell you, man, I ain't going down that road. I'm not even getting close to it. Not because I got this. I'm the first to admit, I don't got this, Jesus. I need your help. So I flee and run away. Why? Because I love Jesus too much. I love Gretchen too much. I love JP and Reagan too much. And quite honestly, church, I love you too much. So I am going to do what the good shepherd has called me to do. And at this point in my life, man, 23 years of marriage, oh, the freedom. You know what? Right before I walked out, I text Gretchen. I said, baby, I love you. I'm gonna meet her at the Jags game. Baby, I love you. Thank you for making it so easy to preach this message. That's what God wants for you. Flee sexual immorality. So what do you do? What do you do? What if you're like, well, yeah, I could have used this message a couple years ago. Here's what you do. Repent. Repent means a change of mind, change of direction. Quit buying into the ways of the world. Trust God's ways. You need new paths. You do whatever it takes. Some of you need to break it up. You need to break up. Call it off. Can't see that person anymore. If every time dating leads to sexual activity, you should get your phone out right now and make an appointment with yourself one year from today, resume dating, because you're not ready. This is a hard one. You need to confess your sins to one another. Now, if there has been an extramarital affair, infidelity, you do not handle that alone. We are here to help. We love you. You need counseling. You need help. You need like triage immediately, okay? 
But I am here to tell you the automatic is not to quit. If God can breathe new life into his dead son, then he can breathe new life into a marriage that feels dead to you. If the tomb is empty, anything is possible. Short of that, if your spouse is confessing things to you that aren't physical adultery, okay? If they are confessing things to you, I don't even know how to tell you how to be prepared to feel so hurt and so discombobulated. I get it. But the way we respond to our spouses is either gonna set them up, it's gonna plant seeds of grace and trust, or you're gonna teach somebody how to hide and lie. So we're gonna have to pray that God would give us the grace to be forgivers in this situation. So we need to repent, we need new paths, we need to confess our sins to one another. And maybe the biggest thing for every single one of us, because there is not a person at any of our campuses or listening online, including the guy preaching the whole thing, who has not sinned when it comes to sexuality. And so we need to receive the forgiveness purchased for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about this very specifically. In John chapter eight, these religious guys catch this woman in the act of adultery. So she can't even, she, she doesn't have a, have a defense. And they bring this girl, they're using her as a commodity to get what they want too. And they bring this girl before Jesus and throw her at his feet. And they say, we caught her in the act of adultery, sexual immorality. And Leviticus says that the penalty is her death. And they've got the rocks in their hands to enact it. What say you, Jesus? Jesus gets down on the ground with her, starts doodling the sand. Nobody knows what he wrote. A lot of people guess stuff. I think he's just getting all the attention off her and putting it on him. And he goes, oh, okay. You wanna play the judgment game? Let's go. He who was without sin cast the first stone. Church, I am not here to throw stones. I'm here on behalf of Jesus as an ambassador to offer to you abundant life. And so one at a time, starting with the old guys, because they know best, they begin to drop their rocks. And then he says, daughter, who condemns you? She looks around. Think about this, man. She knows Leviticus. She's bracing for the impact of the rock of judgment to smack her in the head until she's dead. But instead, she opens her eyes and she sees the face of Jesus and she is smacked by the grace of him who says, then neither do I condemn you. My Bible says in Romans 8, 1, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he doesn't stop. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. It's not enough just to receive his forgiveness. If you actually do receive his forgiveness, it will compel and propel you to go and live differently. Nobody's here to judge you. Jesus offers eternal life. So we're gonna respond. And I know after a sermon like that, nobody's like, well, I can't wait to run to the altar. What will everybody think about me? (laughs) You know who needs to come to the altar? Every single person that wants to be real about their faith in Jesus. On Thursday night, Gretchen was here. We came to the altar to pray for our marriage. If you're married, you should probably come pray for your marriage. And some of you are like, didn't we do it two weeks ago? Uh Uh-huh. You can do it again. At nine o'clock, my 14-year-old daughter was here. We went to the altar. And I mean, I prayed. (laughs) Look, man, worship is war, right? There's a war against my little girl. And I got over her and just prayed God's word over her. I want her to know how valuable she is. I want her to know how much I love her. And that might be a reflection of how much God loves her. He loves her infinitely more than I do. Maybe you need to come and repent. Maybe you need to come and say, all right, Lord, I wanna claim Christ's death on the cross that forgives me of my sin, but I need some help, Spirit. I need you to empower me to go and leave my life of sin. And, I, and you can pray it way up there, I get it. But Jesus kneeled down with that lady. Kneeled down. You got an enemy that's trying to kill you. If you wanna walk in the abundant life Christ has called you to walk in, I dare you to come down here and kneel down. Married people, single people, if you got teenage kids, you should drag them down here and pray over them. And I pray that in a supernatural, tangible way, you would feel the good shepherd speaking over you. You would be so filled with the Spirit of God that when you walk out of here, you are able to walk in the direction of obedience of the Good Shepherd because that's where abundant life is. Would you please stand? Let me pray for you. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you. We thank you. 
that you came for us, that you are for us. God, we pray against the enemy and his evil schemes. God, would you give us eyes to see the way you see so that through the power of the Spirit, we can do what you say. Lord, I pray that there would not be a spirit of condemnation in this place. Conviction, please, condemnation, no way that's a lie from the enemy. Lord, I pray that we would experience firsthand your forgiveness and we would walk out of here differently because of it. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we bring, we sing, we pray. Let's respond.